the making of this uh, video podcast, I want to specifically thank the Wright Brothers Flight Technology Company from Hoofddorp in the Netherlands. They made this beautiful simulator, Boeing 737 simulator, available. And the first time I sat in the simulator, I was astounded by the exact copy of a 737 cockpit. But what even more got me was the outside look when a pilot looks through the window, what he sees is the real world. What they projected on a screen outside the flight deck, what we see through the windows, is just absolutely amazing. The clarity, the detail of the vision is so astounding, I was flabbergasted. So it's a beautiful product. Wright Brothers Flight Technology of Hoofddorp of the Netherlands. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel because for the next 12 months we will be in this beautiful simulator producing amazing content. Hello, Martin. Welcome to the third Palfarmer Aviation podcast, uh, recorded live here, a video podcast. And man, that's a scoop. That's a first recorded in the 737 cockpit here in just outside Schiphol Airport in the Netherlands. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I, you, you can see it on the <laughs> smile on my face, a big <laughs> smile on my face. This is very impressive. You know, I've constantly got f- have the feeling that I'm in an airplane on, on a certain altitude. Uh, well, it, you are. It, they, they, it's as you look out the windows, they put us at 2,000 feet over the coastline of the Netherlands. And you can see the beaches. There's, a, there's the, the Formula One uh, circuit. There's a topless beach down there. I used to buzz that. Um, there's, uh, <laughs> over there, there's the, the president of our company lives in his beautiful apartment on the beach. And... You know, and the vision is fantastic. The visibility is unlimited. The clear blue sky, a great day for flying. Yeah. Welcome, man. I'm 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 just constantly thinking to myself, if 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 you have your license and it's the first time you fly an airplane like this. Yeah, but yeah, well, well you yeah. already flew it because otherwise you're you in the seven three seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you won't fly your private hey, let pilot me be license in the seven. Let me be impressed. Hey, come on. <laughs> there you go. Because you would fly triple sevens mm-hmm. and whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this yeah. is the first yeah. time for me a be, to be in a cockpit whatsoever. Yeah, it is. It, is, uh, it always, you know, it makes a, a deep impression on people, especially all the, the switches and everything and whatnot. But hey, you know, remember what we last talked about in the first podcast uh, at the end that I wanted to talk about a. A certain disease that sometimes takes possession yeah. of pilots, which yeah. is actually very dangerous. Well, we, we talked about it later on. It's not only pilots who have that syndrome, right? Oh. I call it a syndrome nowadays. Yeah, well, it, other people can have it too, but in, when a pilot has it, it's very dangerous. I'm talking about get-home-itis. Get-home-itis, yeah. Yeah, you know, you have a meningitis and uh, appendicitis, but this is a disease where the pilot wants to get home. Let me explain. You fly from A to B. And we are programmed to land at B, Airport B. And uh, we, we, we have a flight plan. We are preparing ourselves for the approach. And we want to land at B. And then on the flight plan is also stipulated, legally required, an alternate airport called C. Let's say you flew into Amsterdam as your destination, then Rotterdam might be your alternate or Brussels. Uh-huh. Uh, but you really don't want to go there. You want to go to your destination. Now, when gethomitis takes place in the brain of the captain, which is in all the crashes in the past have always been male pilots, uh, he basically... Is it, is, is it a typical male thing? You would almost think so. It, 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 you would almost think that the female pilot has more of a common sense to get the hell out of dodge when trouble hits. So what happens when gethomitis? 
suppose we were flying in here, and all of a sudden a huge thunderstorm moves overhead, and there's hailstones the size of golf balls, and it's raining cats and dogs. There's wind shear. Basically all red flags saying don't land here. Another thing that always comes into the into the fray is that when you when you in hindsight look back on when something goes wrong, mm-hmm. the pilots of other airplanes they usually divert. They go to their secondary, their alternate airport, and they say, "Let's get the hell not out B, because it's, it's too dangerous." So yeah, not B, not airport B, but airport C. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what happens with Gatomitis? The captain is hell bent on landing that airplane. Why? Maybe just before he took off from, I don't know, London Stansted, he got a message that his wife is in the hospital or some very banal reason he wants to be at the soccer match of his son, which is the last in the season, and he's missed already four, and his wife had looked at him like, uh, you know, blaming him if for not being If you do that one there. more time, yeah. you better come home, boy. Uh, yeah, Something exactly. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> so he presses on, and then often the, 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 the co-pilot goes along in it, and they land, and they land somewhere halfway down the runway, and they don't have enough runway to stop on uh, aquaplaning, bo- standing water, tailwinds, wind shear, and they run off the end of the runway. And a lot of times the airplane breaks up, catches fire, people die. And this gatomitis has been, you know, going on since the early days of commercial aviation, since yeah. the Second World War. If you look that far back, crashes have happened because of that. And they usually happen during landing. And, and One time they ab- happened actually during takeoff. Yeah, wasn't that with uh, in in Mallorca or something with the KLM flight? Uh, Tenerife. With Tenerife. Tenerife. Yeah, Tenerife. Yeah, Tenerife. Tenerife. There was KLM Pan Am. The KLM captain had a severe case of get homeitis because they were flying Amsterdam Gran Canaria and then divert from Gran Canaria to Tenerife, their alternate airport, uh, because they lo- couldn't land at Gran Canaria. They were s- supposed to offload and upload cruise ship passengers, so they went to Tenerife, but there there was a dense fog. And then he calculated that they were running out of legal work time, duty time. So he had he was in a major hurry to get back to Gran Canaria when the airport was open. You know, change passengers, upload, offload, offload upload, uh-huh. and uh, get fuel, and then get the hell out and make it to Amsterdam inside the legal duty hours of, let's say, 12 hours. And every minute time was ticking away that they were on the ground in Tenerife. So he was in a major hurry to take off, to and get, he disregarded really all. He dis- yeah, he disregarded the... The the um, their own safety procedures uh, didn't ignore the warning of his uh, flight engineer and well you know the rest is history um, terrible yeah because but I w- because I was thinking to myself with, because that's when they take off but if if you want to land there's also something like flight control right and are they not saying okay it's not safe you can't la- land no, uh, this is uh, the responsibility of the pilot sometimes I, it happened like you know in in a, in a miami in the hurricane season that they will close the airport if you know they have very sophisticated warning systems low level wind shear advisories blah 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 they will close the airport but um some don't and they leave it to the pilot um and they have the responsibility to make that final decision now if the captain is hell bent on getting there and the Co-pilot does not stand up to him and say, "Listen, buddy, use common sense. We we have to get the hell out. It's dangerous." Sometimes even the passengers do it. You re- you remember yeah, this with JetBlue? What happened in yeah, New York yeah, yeah. last year? I just want year? to say, I, I remember. Uh, Incredible! Uh, I was just on YouTube that the guy, that the, even the, the passengers were the upset. Passengers like were revolting, and what happened? They, yeah. they there was a delayed flight inbound to JFK uh, winter weather. And they made four approaches. You know, after after you made a second approach, trying to land as a as a pilot, you you already should start wondering what am I doing here. 
Then they made a third and a fourth approach, and then they diverted to um, another airport. I believe it was Newark. And the passengers by that time were so scared. I can imagine, because you don't they, know what's they, going they, on, right? They said, we want to get off the airplane. No, 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 we will take you back to Kenny. No, we want to get off. And people were yelling. There was complete, you know, it was mutiny on that flight. And actually, uh. I think, you know, when your heart speaks and you are you are feeling that there's something not right and, and you, f- you can almost sense the danger, and I'm thinking, yeah, you know, um, listen, listen to your inner self. And uh, they... I, I respect what they did, the passengers. They actually did not, you know, were not led like lambs to the slaughter. And I would don't want to say sheep, but, um, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's sheep. got something <laughs> to do with my last name, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Monsieur Mouton. Well, you know, anyway, there is one case of get home And if you look back over the years, um, every year, a couple of airplanes, almost every year, crash, usually during landing. Um Killing people, killing the crew. Not all of them. Some of some of times they they walk away without a scratch. But you know, you see this flight deck here. We have three different autopilots. We have, you don't see it, but behind the the, the switches overhead, we have three different uh, backups for hydraulics, air system, fuel system, electrical system. So everything actu- is, is so, so. Actually, what you're saying is you must be really stupid or take make some really stupid choice, make some stupid choices before things really run out of control. Well, you don't. It's not about choices, but if something fails, there is always this backup system that takes over. So uh, you're not dependent on just one system that starts to leak or gets catches on fire. But with all this fantastic protection that is built into this airplane, there's nothing protecting us from what I call the runaway captain, who wants to land in bad conditions. Everybody's diverted, and this guy is just hell-bent on getting on the ground. Jeopardizes the lives of all his passengers, his crew, the airframe, the, air, the, uh, the plane. And so they, they, you know, there is nothing, and the, the, what bothers me is there is nothing in the ICAO, uh, the International Civil Aviation Organization in the airline industry that is being done about. Is this? Oh, that's, that's really strange. That's... What amazes me, because every you know, I, I have checked down in, into the history, and some years there were three crashes all over the world happening when pilots actually continued when they should have gone away, and so they they wrecked the airplane. People died. Sometimes yeah. they themselves died. Oh wow! And uh, you know, one one was a, a plane from Dubai that landed in in uh, in Rostov on the Don in Russia and tried to land and. Um, for the third time, they waited for two hours, burning fuel, trying to wait for the winds to to abate. But they went back in, and the third time they made a go around, and the captain apparently he just froze up and thought, "Shoot, um, I'm trapped. I'm I'm out of options." And he stopped flying, and the airplane stalled and crashed. crashed on the runway, and oh all all people on board died. Because I was just wanted to ask you: Is there any attention from from the aviation industry? It doesn't look like it. Doesn't look like it. I've written articles about it, and and a lot of pilots agree with me. They say you're absolutely right, and um, because it makes it's, perfectly it's sense. I mean, it's a whole different story, of course. But I have the same experience with myself. Unfortunately, you go, you come back from holiday, right? And um, 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 actually, you should find a hotel and rest and move on the next day. Yeah. You mean but from but the long when yeah. you got a long drive ahead? Yeah, when you have a long drive yeah. ahead. But but your your brain is saying to you, no, I want to go home. Yeah. Uh, You're smelling the stables. Uh, the holiday is already gone, so yeah. let's move. Yeah. 
And the funny thing is that uh, from my profession, we know that that uh, people show very irrational behavior. We know that. I mean, then you came and received a Nobel Prize for it. Yeah. So it's also a very irrational decision as a pilot to to say, okay, I'm going to land in this weather no matter what because yeah. I want to go home. Mm -hmm. that's, yeah. But it's... Well, I that's I get, that's get that homeitis. It's something in his brain. There's a yeah, but then there's yeah. no attention for it in the aviation industry. That makes that's that's really wondering. You no, know, I I've, I've been me. I've been saying um, why you know operations uh, like uh, KLM here on Schiphol Airport has a major operations center mm -hmm. with people monitoring flights, and they should especially pay attention when their flights go into tricky airports. You know, my, my friend uh, flies a triple seven, and he flew it late in the afternoon into uh, São Paulo in Brazil, and you know. It's always bingo late in the afternoon. Uh, hot weather, thunderstorms building up, and yeah. sometimes you're lucky. The way the way the airport itself is clear, but there's a thunderstorm three four miles away. Okay, so you can land, and sometimes you 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 are out of luck, and you have to enter a holding to wait for the weather to clear, or you if you don't have the fuel for that, you have to go to your alternate because you have to keep an eye on that fuel figure that you have in your tanks, that gives you enough fuel to reach that alternate. So, they if that operations of that airline knows that you know uh, Mexico City late in the afternoon is always tricky, always major thunderstorms and rain, and and sometimes it bypasses the airport and sometimes it happens right overhead the airport. Mm -hmm. At that time, when that pilot and his co-pilot, uh, maybe there were three in the cockpit there for a long flight, they they have that decision to them. What do we do? They have the most actual um, information there, but. Operations nowadays with the internet and and uh, weather radar and everything else ATC they can monitor also what is happening there and at that moment let's say this guy wants to land because he has a date in the city and he's gonna meet the nice girl in the bar and he wants to land and the copilot thinks yeah 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 but the copilot is a youngish guy and he he doesn't dare to speak up and then all of a sudden you know operations should pitch oh, so in and say what are you still doing there you, we see other airplanes are diverting to guadalajara or to uh, rio de janeiro from sao paulo yeah. um what are you still doing there uh, what does it look like uh, from our information it doesn't look good maybe you should consider diverting so so hierarchy in in, in the cockpit plays a role then as well oh very much i'll tell you one story that is absolutely amazing um just a short break did you know that Wright Brothers Flight Technology is building flight simulators for flying schools, but also for major airlines, which are completely EASA certified? And now we get back to the podcast. Yesterday, or 13 years ago, that this crash happened, and it killed the president of Poland, uh, Lech Kaczynski. Ah, yeah, there was this twin, with, wasn't with it? His, with his wife. and Wasn't uh, it about this twin brother, who were both Well, they were, they were twins, yeah. Lech and uh, Yaroslav, and they are both, uh, they had the law and order party in, in still there in Poland, but they were flying from Warsaw, Chopin Airport, to Smolensk, in, uh, just across the border in Russia. Um, it was on a day that to commemorate the 70th um, anniversary of the Katyn Forest murder. Have you ever heard about that? The Katyn Forest? Honestly, no? I can say yes, but if you ask me a question about it, I don't know. I have no idea. Well, it, it was a, uh, a thing that is beyond belief. Uh, Joseph Stalin basically had the Russians, his Russian soldiers, murder the entire uh, military uh, wow. hierarchy there but also nobility, landowners, um, um, the, the ecclesials, the 22,000 people in that oh, wow. forest were shot in the neck oh, and serious. dumped in, in, in mass graves. Oh, 
Okay. And they, and they were on their way to well, the ceremony. Yeah, and they, they the commemoration of that night, I believe President Putin was going to visit there too. So they were flying in there to Tupolev, to Smolensk. And one of the other um, military airplanes just got in there with a, a, a load of journalists on board to, you know, to report on this event. And they got in there, or they tried to get into Smolensk Airport in dense, dense fog. Um, now, there were a lot of other um, very negative influences on the performance there. The um, radio navigation beacons on the airport, there was just one very basic beacon dating back from the Second World War. The instrument <laughs> landing system that we have on the runway, that wasn't working. The lights, some of them were broken. Some of the runway approach lights were hiding, uh, were uh, screened off by trees and shrubbery. The Russian controllers only spoke Russian. They offered a, uh, a, a translator to be in the cockpit of that Polish Tupolev, but for some reason that didn't happen. Luckily, the captain spoke fluent, uh, fluent uh, Russian. But um, the worst thing was very dense fog, and they called their friends that had just landed before them, and they said, it's absolute shit down here, Don't and land. it's only getting worse. Now, the beacon that is on the airport, you can fly and approach that, but it's 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 um, notoriously inaccurate, and you can only land with a certain minimum of maybe you need about 1,500 meters what of does, visibility. What does a beacon do? There's a beacon on the runway, uh, next to the runway, that transmits um, 360 degrees around um, all over on a low frequency, a signal. Mm -hmm. And if I tune that frequency here in one of these radio sets, um, it's called an NDB, that, that beacon, a non-directional beacon, one of the pointers over there will point at that beacon. Ah, okay. It will always point at that beacon. So, so, you, know, so you know... You know where the airport is, that's so all you like know. like uh, on the horizon over there, I don't know yep. what it is, but that's it's a runway. Uh, yeah. You oh, know, that's the you, runway. Yeah, yeah, you know where um, <laughs> you know where the airport is, but that's <laughs> all you know. You, you, it doesn't give you a distance. It doesn't give you uh, any other information. It just tells you that's on the nose. That's There's the, the airport. You go. Yeah. But that beacon was not well. It's properly. not. It's very inaccurate. And the Russians had an instrument landing system that uh, you can use to land even in dense fog. But they decommissioned that because. And then the Polish Air Force on that airplane. And an ILS receiver that was only made for the Western Hemisphere. Not the Russian had a, a whole different frequency set that wouldn't work. Oh my goodness! So they are trying to get in there in very dense fog, and trying to grope their way to the airport. They have three different altimeters in that cockpit, and they all gave different indications. Mm. Then the Russian pilot uh, radar controller tried to help them uh. to talk them through the fog to the airport. Then the nav their own navigator started to call out altitudes from one of the altimeters, which is actually a completely non-standard procedure. And at the same time, they're trying to descend to the airport through the fog, but they don't have vertical guidance. If you have an instrument landing system on the primary flight display here on that horizon, mm -hmm. you have... Uh, a bar that moves up and down that tells you you're too high or too low to descend in a in a three degree yeah you see the dots Horizon there uh, yeah you and you have a three degree glide path that takes you to the runway if you are high the needle goes down to say you have to go down to get on that three degree path but they did not have that guidance okay so the, that that NDB that silly little beacon didn't have that function so, so they, they are basically they vertically in the vertical sense uh -huh. they don't know. Uh, where they are because they also have no exact distance to the airport. So they're just basically um, 
you know, um, winging their way through the fog. And if you're flying in the fog really like in that, the it's, it's, fly, it's like you're flying in a bottle of milk. You don't see shit. The visibility had dropped down to 200 meters, which actually requires you to have a very um, sophisticated ILS system and not some shabby old beacon. But they did it anyway, because that's what the colleagues on the ground say, yeah, you might give it a try. But you know what? They had a general sitting in the cockpit mm. uh, wanting to land. There was uh, the, the director of the whole ceremony running in and out saying, we need to land. And, of course, the president was on board, and they were going to meet uh, the president of the, uh, the, the, uh, of Russia. They were under immense pressure from the higher-ups, you uh-huh. know, the, 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 the military or the president himself, to land that airplane to be at that ceremony. And, therefore, they, they basically ignored their own responsibility that, you know, if, if, if it looks dangerous, it, it smells dangerous, it's bad, it, uh, the, all the warning signs are, you know, flagging red get out of there then but, but i what i almost understood is that at the end of the day the pilot uh, the captain is is the boss of the airplane yeah so if he he but or she decides there no is go. a cliffhanger here you wouldn't believe what happened two years before that the same president who got killed in that crash went on a flight on the tupolev the government airplane from warsaw to somewhere in poland mm-hmm. a to b and somewhere halfway th- during the flight, according to the incident report, the uh, background story in this incident report, he required the captain on that plane to go to another airport, to divert to another airport. The pilot, the captain, refused to do that because I, I don't have the navigation documentation for it. I've never been there. Um, so Prob- Problems perhaps with, with uh, the, the fuel? Uh, uh, that, that could come into it too, but... Primarily because he didn't have any documentation on the airport. He was not familiar with it. From the captain's perspective, it was a no-go. Yeah, and he continued to the destination originally planned. You know what they did? (laughs) They fired him? Yeah. Really? Well, they they court-martialed him. They they brought him to a military court, according to what I read. According to what I read. Because he he, he refused to follow orders. Yeah, exactly. He uh, disobeyed orders. So basically what happened there is somebody else higher up is trying to sit on the captain's seat and that higher up person has no clue what it means to fly an airplane what, what, or what, what, what kind of international laws do you have on that there must be something like international law where you say okay at the end of the day what i always understood but hey, i i'm i'm a dummy uh, in regards to aviation um uh, the captain is the boss yeah well he is responsible for the safe conduct of the flight so if at any given time he sees that it becomes too dangerous to to continue a flight or to even start a flight, then he says, okay, it's my responsibility. I am taking that responsibility. I'm, I'm not taking off. I'm not going to land there. So, Fair you know, enough. your boss can yell at you all you want. And the, the good thing is here in, the, in, the, in Western Europe, uh, many countries are very strong pilot unions, and those pilot unions will back you up and say uh, to your boss, listen, you cannot do this. Uh, this guy is in his legal rights, and he is a obligated to protect the passengers and the crew and the, and the plane. Um, so we know that that as airline management, you, you don't tamper with the function of a captain because that's specifically why he is a captain, to make those difficult decisions. That's why he gets paid all that money. But here, basically, somebody else went and sat on the captain's seat, that Polish captain, and told him, you are going to divert to that airport. He said, no, I'm not. I will continue to my destination. He won the court-martial. They gave him a silver medal, but he never flew the president again. Okay. 
Well, and, but you know one should, thing? He should be happy about that. Eh? Yeah, yeah. He he kept his back straight. But you know one thing? His co-pilot on that flight later got promoted to captain, and the flight engineer on that flight got promoted to co-pilot. And you know who were let on let the planes? You know who were on yeah, the plane that crashed. Let me guess. In Smolensk? Let me guess. Those, those guys. guys. So can you imagine oh, the pressure wow. they felt? Yeah, 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 yeah. They knew what what would be the sta- at stake when they would yeah. say, "Okay, we're not yeah. going to do it." Yeah. <sighs> so they kept uh. groping and poking around in the dense fog to get to that airport. And at one time they were descending so fast they were completely unstabilized. They were in a valley short of the runway, and they just crashed into the forest and everybody died. And uh, if the guy me. had had the right to exercise his command as a as a commander as a captain if he had done what he was trained to do yeah then he would have gotten the hell out because other airplanes had all also there was an airplane inbound from moscow that went straight back to moscow (laughs) yeah they said we're not going to do this yeah and that is the common sense but this guy had a case of the get homeitis but but what i do not get that because uh we know already for a long time and it's not the first time we spoke about it uh it's the first time by the way in a simulator, yeah, yeah that's an absolute <laughs> uh, in first. A podcast. Yeah. Um, but but what really amazes me is that for me it's quite obvious that that companies can put a lot of pressure on pilots, uh, um, um, their own feeling, their own irrational behavior. Um, but there's not so much attention for it. I, that's what I find very strange. I already said. It before, also, again, there depends on culture. You know, um, Asian cultures. It is very hard to uh, say no. You know, they always say yes because yeah, they because they of giving face. Yeah, losing face. Yeah, losing face. Yeah. Um, other cultures, macho cultures, where you know, um, saying no, you 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 are a coward or a, or, a, or a wuss, and they say uh, so. They refuse to do that. They always say yes, and yeah, I can cope with this, and I can deal with this, and I'm a, I know what I'm doing. So basically, they are you know overestimating their own capabilities yeah, so does she have good training on on how to be how to tr- to uh, um, well deal with your own ego we, basically you know we, you know we we talked about that that's that crew resource management that has been ever since that terrible crash in tenerife uh, been getting more and more important um you know what do you uh, mean by crew resource crew management? resource management we are a crew okay but the purser is also part of the crew and the flight engineer if you had one uh, but also the ground agent they're all airline crew and you manage the resources that they possess so i flew for once uh, one time with uh, turkish airlines and the boeing 777 to bishkek in uh, kyrgyzstan never been there before nice so i'm thinking okay former former uh, soviet satellite how, how would how would that look and i, I you know I, I checked all the navigation charts and familiarized myself but there is nothing better than eyes on the ground so i asked my co-pilot i said hey uh, mehmet uh, how often have you been there? Uh, or have you been there before? And he said, yeah, I've been there three times. I said, what do I have to uh, pay attention to? And that is crew resource management. You ask that guy for info. But that's very normal, isn't it? Yeah, but you wouldn't believe how, how you know, we, we talk in the, about a gradient in the cockpit. In the Netherlands, the gradient is very shallow. We have the, the captain is uh, almost on the level um, with the co-pilot and the only difference is the, the captain only difference is the salary <laughs> no but the responsibility the captain bad joke sorry <laughs> for those pilots who are listening sorry bad joke <laughs> the, yeah well actually it's true but the captain the captain is responsible and he puts his signature down on everything 
and the co-pilot basically follows along. But if the co-pilot sees the captain making a mistake during the flight, during a, an approach, or he immediately landing, says, "Hey, dummy, yeah, <laughs> look at this." Well, it, you know, in certain countries, say, for saying that, he would get smacked on the head with a checklist. <laughs> but <laughs> no, seriously, that happened. Um, but hey, he, uh, that is his function. The, the co-pilot also to protect the captain from making a mistake, and vice versa too. Uh, that is also crew resource management, uh, which is called threat and error management. You try to isolate the threats and the errors from happening. Yeah. And that is, in a larger sense, crew resource management. And the most important thing is, and which we, you know, we have a good culture for that in our country, is basically calling out a mistake, whoever made it, or admitting when you made one, and um, being willing to learn from it. Yeah, yeah. And there are, again, cultures who will completely ignore that they ever made a mistake and just you know, sweep it under the carpet. So it could but be case that the problem is even bigger than we think because uh, well it depends it's on culture. It no, it's improving because there are more and more um, cultures that are noticing that their their own culture is in the way. And okay. they, are, they okay. need to do something because um, they have had dangerous accidents or incidents where this crew resource management, uh, the communication completely broke apart. And, um, for example, here in this Polish crash in, in Smolensk, it, everything fell apart during the last second. Nobody communicated. And, and, and one at one time screamed, uh, go around, and nobody did anything. And then eight seconds later, the other said, go around, nobody did anything. It was, if you read that report, it was just one, one thing stacking up on another. It was Murphy's Law altogether, but the overruling mis- mistake was it was the the get-home-itis of the captain. And this time not because he wanted to land, but the pressure, the pressure from higher up to, to land. And, you know, that, and that's why I said, if you read that report with the in, in, in the back of your mind what happened a couple of years before that when they, they, they punished that captain for actually doing yeah, his job, yeah, 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 yeah. then that's the kind of a culture that you don't want in the cockpit. Definitely not. It's very dangerous. Very counterproductive when it comes to, you know, when the shit hits the fan, Murphy's Law bites you with all its force, everything goes wrong, then you as a crew have to, you know, stick together and, and help each other and, and yeah. make, a, make a sound plan. And that is just same with this crew, crew resource management. You, some people, you know, they, they refuse to admit that that, that, is, that is a necessity. It's a bare necessity. It's much more important that we call it the non-technical yeah. skills. You know, the technical skills is here, uh, handling all these switches and flying the airplanes. But It's complicated to communicate. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a different story, I think. But uh, a management team needs to work together as well. And that's, that's my, fi- my field of, uh, of business. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have this, this um, yeah, it's, it's an exercise where they need to work together on, to find out what's, what's missing. Um, and we put a lot of pressure on them. And in the beginning, everybody is shouting. And as, is there, if there's one leader that everybody accepts, yeah. then they can fix it within 10, 12 minutes. Yeah. But if there are two or three big egos in yeah. the group, yeah. and sometimes that happens, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. it's a big oh, failure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because, because it goes all, all over the place. Yeah, 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 and then yeah, they're and shouting, no, it should be done <laughs> like this. No, it's like this. Okay, yeah. one more time. And nobody's thinking anymore. Spins out of control. Yeah, and the yeah. last five minutes, they say, guys, come on, you need to you need to hurry up. But you've got, got only 10 minutes. And then yeah. it's like, mm-hmm. it, it really happens that they look like... <sighs> Well, that's they the funny thing is anymore. that the mo- uh, a lot of the, 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 the airlines nowadays, they have uh, always a, in, in, their, in their selection process, so they invite for a certain day 12 new candidates to hire for a pilot. Yeah. And they will put them together 
in a room and give them a complex situation to solve. And then they will observe with a couple of shrinks who uh, acts in which way. You know, there are very quiet, uh, subservient types. There are very aggressive types. There are nervous guys. And, and, and how do they behave and do they listen to each other? And the funny thing is what I've lately been thinking about more and more is one of the greatest dangers that we can make in our lives, in driving, in our relationship to other people, to your wife or your partner or in a business or in a cockpit, is an assumption. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. I, f- I always like that, uh, that, that American one assumption is the mother of all, you know? Yeah, all screw-ups. Yeah. Or if you analyze the word, you dissect the word. You make an ass out of you and out of me. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Assume. You make an ass of you and me. Yeah. And the, the funny thing is, you know, people in relationship, to, yeah, well, you know, kind of, he looked kind of funny at me. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and I, I would say, yeah, maybe he had a bug in his eye. <laughs> it's an assumption. <laughs> yeah, but why don't we go talk to these people? Why don't we just ask? You know, what what's going yeah, on? What's what are we doing on? here? Why? And based on assumptions, so many things go wrong. You know, yeah. the, it's, what it's do you incredible. think the role of, of artificial intelligence will be in this? Because if 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 a plane will be run by artificial intelligence, you don't have catamitis. Um, it's, it's well, you know, you remember our f- our second podcast I made with Ferry, yeah, uh, XKLM ex Turkish Airlines captain, um, and we talked about the future of aviation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember? Yeah, and I remember. Um, we were both of the opinion that the airline industry will eventually migrate towards flying a drone. I can imagine because and, uh, yeah. of course the pilots won't like to hear this, but the technology is already there. Yeah. The mindset has to change. That is the biggest thing. The the, the the people in the back have to understand it and accept it. Yeah, but it's always a tipping point, right? As as at a certain point people have more faith and more trust in the technology, by, by if, if you are flown by a, a artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. it's safer. At a certain point, people will say, okay, it's safer to fly with artificial yeah. intelligence. Especially if you consider that 95% of all accidents are are, are made related. by human error. Yeah, I can imagine. You know? so oh, wow. So, yeah, that's 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 the story I, I wanted to relate, that, that, that get-home-itis that nobody apparently addresses, because I bet you that this year it will happen again. There will b- still be somebody else somewhere... In this world, saying I want to land, and then there is standing water, and there is uh, snow, and there is hail, and there is thunderstorms, and God knows what. But it's, it's and they will still press on, and yeah. it will wreck the airplane. The people will maybe die in the worst case. I, I think why it never gets much attention is that <laughs> it's very cynical. But people don't die in very very large numbers. Sometimes, like in 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 our day, it happens in out-of-the-way countries like the the crash in, in the southern uh, part of Russia in Rostov, you know, it, yeah, it's far away from us here in Western Europe. But if this would happen somewhere on, a, on an airport in our region... Du- in Dubai, for example. Or yeah, uh, but even or closer, or then, then, then it would hit home. Then you, of course, it, you know, it's closer to home. But uh, somewhere on the other side of the world, you think, yeah, well, hey, uh, third world country, you know, duh. But it, it, it can happen still, anywhere. And, still and any, you, pilot, any pilot can get this... this crazy notion that he wants to land. And it's not only, because I was thinking about it, it's not only pilots who can have this problem, but it's the same for truck drivers. Of course. Uh, captains on yeah, a boat. But like uh, what you said about this vacation, I had the same yeah. thing a couple of years ago. I had this nice big solid Volvo SUV and I'm driving all the way from Tuscany and we decided um, at uh, five in the afternoon the, um, to, to 
in the morning we decided that we would stop over, I believe, in, in Bern in Switzerland, right? That's on the route if you come out of Italy. For sure. Get yeah. a get a hotel and uh, with the kids and my wife and stay one night and just clip it in two. Um, but then we were there, and we, it was only six hours more left to go, and it was six or seven in the evening. And I'm feeling fit; I had a, I, I had a good night's rest. But I had already been driving, yeah, and driving in northern Italy is crazy. Then you go across. You the, probably, the if you're from from Tuscany, I think you already did something like thousand kilometers. Yeah. yeah. Um, nah. Well, a little yeah. bit less, eight nine hundred. And then uh, same thing. Get home, I, yeah, I I yeah. I talked to my wife, and she said, "If you're happy, we're happy. We just keep on going. We'll be home at one or two at, in the morning." At and I stayed alert most of the part, m- most most of the way. But you know, you have this 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 dark highway running uh, um, parallel to the Rhine uh, up north, yeah. and there's no lights there. And then at one time you think like, shoot, I wish I'd gone to that hotel, man. You know, and that is it hits you just yeah. Like and that. and and then what do you do? Yeah. What is the wise thing to do? But that then it's so strange, yeah, because then the irrationality takes over. Then you're thinking to yourself. Ah, yeah, but I'm already driving, and uh, I will get a cup of coffee later. I will put yeah. on some music, yeah, we'll and it's all nonsense. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't help you to 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 stay no, awake. You will only get more tired. Yeah, but it's and same for a pilot, and, and, right? And it's again also this is one thing that may bring on get home itis is fatigue. When you know you've had a long ocean crossing flight of twelve hours, and then you you think, oh, in two hours I'll be in the hotel, have a c- nice cold beer, and go to bed, and then you. You're hell bent on getting there, yeah. You know? And so then you're at yeah. the end of twelve hour flight, and you didn't sleep because, in when you had your little two hour block to have a nap, it was turbulent, and you were bumping all over the place in your bed, and you couldn't sleep. And then you get there, and your mind mind is clouded, your judgment is clouded by by fatigue, by tiredness, and you think, ah, oh, what the hell? I'm I'm not gonna go divert to from Amsterdam to Brussels, and then maybe we run out of time and the passengers have to go to, to a hotel, and oh, you think of all this hassle that is behind it, because that what that is what that, that KLM captain in Tenerife was thinking about. If we run out of time, we get yeah. stuck in Gran yeah. Canaria, then yeah. 400 people will have to go into a hotel. It will cost KLM a lot of money. Will, we will have to sleep for eight hours and then fly home, and it will cost a ton of money, you know, and you know all those things come into play, and that's why I'm saying maybe somebody at... The operations, the nerve center of an airline should look into weigh in on this too and say, listen, at one time it's enough. We will we will pick up the slack, we will, you know, clean up the mess afterwards and put in the people in the hotel. But you know, people when it's too late they realize the in- immense damage that this does because there are dead people, there is there is, you know, the immense grief. An airplane is wrecked, uh, crew members are are dead. The 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 image of the company is wrecked. Um, yeah. Why not just call it quits and say let's get the hell out of here? You know. Yeah. yeah. But it's very hard. It's very hard when that virus takes a hold of your brain, man. It's 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 a dangerous thing. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, it's 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 funny. The more you think about it, the dangerous uh, the more dangerous it becomes, in my perspective. <laughs> but that's my worldview, well, of course. <laughs> you know, it's 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 a percentage that you know you know that. Luckily, most of the times it's going well. Eh? It's going it's going fine. I mean, yeah, that that is the, you know, the, the flying is still the safest the safest way of getting around. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but you know, it's um, it's a it's a it's a it surprises me that. Because this will happen again and again, that nobody does actually take any action on it to to alleviate this problem, to 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 ban this, because nice. it is it is 
possible. You know, yeah. we, we, we can do that. And the aviation industry will benefit from it. I'm going to fly this airplane to Lelystad Airport. Lelystad? Because it's time, uh, it's time, it's time to go. So how do I start the engine? Uh? Well, the engines are running. We are in flight. You see, oh, if you move the noise. throttles, you see the, the, the power going up there. You see those little gauges uh, there. It is fantastic. Eh? Spinning up. We are in a, in a cruise flight who here. Made this, who made this possible, by the way? 